Uh, If you want to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 17, we'll look at Proverbs 17, and we'll take up verse 9 tonight. You may say I'm cherry-picking which ones I want to uh, speak about, and you're exactly right. (laughs) I am cherry-picking. Proverbs 17 and 9, we skipped over a couple to get to a couple, and um, so um, we want to look at this tonight. And part of me thinks, well, this is probably a message that needs to be preached on Sunday morning too, but um, maybe I'll preach it again sometimes. It never hurts to continue to hear this constant theme that runs through the Scripture. Proverbs 17 and 9, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. We want to get our definitions there of the different words that occur, and then we'll um, look at some other scripture and also comment about the uh, verse itself. The word covereth, it means to conceal or hide, spread over, or a covering. Some of you are notice that it's a little chilly in here tonight, and you've got blankets. You have, you're covering yourself with a blanket. That's what that word means. Transgression just means sin. Uh, it says, he that covereth the transgression seeketh love. The word seek means to desire, to request, to seek to find, to seek to secure. This is interesting. To seek the face, to beg, to aim, to be eager, and to pursue. And then the last part of the verse, but he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. Repeateth means to do again. Separate means to divide. And the phrase very friends, it means that which is tame or docile or intimate. It comes from a root word that means to, that means, I would put it this way, it means learned. So I would say it is somebody that you have learned and that you know well. Okay, so with those definitions in mind, I want you to think about the thrust of this verse. He that covereth the transgressions seeketh love. This is a theme, as I said, that runs throughout the scripture. You'll find this in one form or another repeated again and again. And I submit to you that this is the lifeblood of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is it the lifeblood of the church, but it is the lifeblood of of a, of a happy marriage, of good relations with friends. Because as Jesus said in the Gospels, uh, woe unto them by whom offenses uh, will come, but offenses will come, Jesus said. So you can't get out of this world without um, being offended or giving offense because we are sinners. And if you meet somebody that thinks they don't offend, well, then that person has a very messed up view of what they are. Everybody except the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is a sinner. Everybody that descends from Adam. So you see how important this theme is when it comes to church peace, when it comes to family peace, when it comes to friendship peace. And I tell you, peace is priceless, is it not? So as we take this up, I want you to notice the distinctions that are made. He that covers a transgression seeketh love. It doesn't even mention that it's related to a friend here. Obviously, it does relate to friends. But just in general, the person who seeks to cover a transgression, whether they're an intimate friend with someone or not, 
They are seeking love. As I've preached in another time several years ago on the, the phrase in First Peter and in the Psalms, seek peace and pursue it. Uh, you know, the point I made there was it, if, if, um, if I offended Brother Luke and uh, Brother Luke uh, sought peace with me and I, w- I refused, you know, to acknowledge any kind of a transgression that I know I didn't do anything. Well, you know, he may not get me back. You know, he may not reconcile with me, but that's not the point of that verse. The point is to seek peace and pursue it. It just so happens that if he's trying to pursue peace with me, that he is seeking peace as he seeks to restore himself with me or, or me restore him, myself to him. You see that? So if you don't get the person, yeah, it's disappointing. If you don't get the restoration back that you desire, you can still have some type of satisfaction, a great measure of satisfaction in just seeking peace. And that's what this is saying here. You're seeking love when you cover a transgression. You might not get that person, but you can still seek love. And it doesn't matter if they're a close, intimate friend to you or if they're just somebody that you casually are acquainted with. At some point or another, offenses will come. But notice the opposite of that or uh, the antithesis is, but he that repeats a matter will separate very close friends. See? So to repeat a matter means to harp on that matter. And notice that to repeat a matter in the opposite form here is not love. You catch that? If, if you cover a transgression, you are seeking love, but repeating a matter is not seeking love. Okay? So look, look back a few verses, a few chapters to chapter 10, and it speaks in very similar terms of this. Proverbs 10 and 12, it says, Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. Now let me just say this real, make sure we understand. This is not accepting all kinds of errant and sinful behavior. Okay, that is, a, that is what you're hearing Daily, it's being preached on the news and in the media. You know, you can't risk offending someone. You just have to accept them as they are. And sometimes they'll, in the religious circles, they'll use verses like this. Oh, you just got to love, you know. Well, that's not real love. That's not true love. Because true love, if you understand the character of God, who is, it says God is love over in the New Testament. If you understand the character of God, a part of that character to true love is that it must hate and abhor sin. So then the real question is, what's the definition of sin? What's the definition of right and wrong? Who's going to define that? Well, if you leave that up to the media, it, you, you, it's all relative. You know, your right and your wrong may be relative to you, but for me, you know, I can carry on this activity or that activity because my right or wrong by my standard is okay. It's okay. See, so we have to, if you can't even get to that kind of a level playing field with someone, there's probably no point in talking to them about right and wrong. And sadly, there's a lot of people out there that you just can't talk to them about it today because oh, you're judging, or oh, you're not loving, you're, you're acting in a hateful way. <laughs> well, see, what that is really saying, it's not really saying that you're being hateful or that you're not loving. It's really saying they have a different standard of what is right and what is wrong rather than what this word has, which is the standard that God has, you see? So look the root of that. It's not just an attack on you. It is, it is actually saying 
they have no standard or no biblical standard of right and wrong. And that's, that's our big problem today, isn't it? You see? So understand when it says love covers all sins, it does not mean that love as defined by the scripture and as part of the character of God is embracing of any type of sin. And it also comes back to the meaning of cover. What does cover mean? Does that mean you just kind of sweep it under the rug? Not at all. (laughs) This is not a sweeping under the rug of a sin. All right. The word cover in another form is very similar to the word that we have for atonement. And it was interesting that I was reading um, some of the early translations of the Bible before the King James translation. One was the Tyndale Bible. Uh, others, others were also translated. And w- one of the things that made the King James so unique is they actually coined some words, many words, new words that weren't even around. One of those words was atonement. The, some previous translators, and I don't think it was Tyndale or Tyndale, it was somebody else, but one of the previous translators had it like this. At oneness, at oneness, and we get in the KJV translation, atonement. You see how that's very similar. But I, I like saying, I like explaining atonement through that word, at oneness, because that's what atonement is. So when you think about the covering of the sin, it's very important that you understand it's not sweeping it under the rug. It's not saying, okay, we'll accept you as you are. No, it is something that brings the parties to at oneness again. They've been divided. They've been pushed apart by some offense. And it brings atonement or at oneness. And you see where that's going with, with our relationship with the Lord. We have been separated from God through Adam's sin, through our own sin, our own sinful nature. And something or someone had to put us at one again, at oneness, at atonement, you see. And of course, we know who that one was. It was Jesus Christ. So don't confuse uh, where it says love covers all sins. It's not the modern definition of love. It's not accepting everything that comes along. Hatred stirreth up strife, but love, biblical love, the character of God type love, it covers all sins. Aren't you glad that God's character of love and the atonement that he brought to us has covered all of our sins or we'd never be at one with God again? Okay, now also when you think about the proverb tonight, which is... uh, once again, it's Proverbs 17 and 9. He that covereth the transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. When you think about that, it kind of gives you the difference uh, between one who is a peacemaker and one who is a talebearer, right? Because here you've got one that has chosen, made the choice to cover the transgression with love in the sense of at oneness, atonement, not accepting the offense that was done, but dealing with it in a way that doesn't hold it against them. And yet, you, on the other hand, you've got somebody who's a tailbearer repeating the offense and causing more trouble and more division. See? You see the contrast? So, this that we have laid out for us here in Proverbs 17 and 9, to cover a transgression is seeking love, is the path of peace among friends, among churches, among families. This is the path of peace. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be honest with you. This is the difference. That understanding and embracing this and, and making this a rule to live by is the difference between happy and sad. 
Because we all know folks that are carrying the baggage around of I've been offended, I've been offended, I've been offended, I've been offended. That They're carrying that baggage around and they're not happy. As a matter of fact, the only semblance of happiness they might have is whenever they're punishing the people who have offended them. But that's really not happiness. That's, that's malice is what that is. Okay, so now this is, this is also not the same. You know, there, it says a friend or someone that's seeking love is not going to repeat a matter. Now, this is not talking about when uh, Brother Tim and Brother Chris sit around and we embellish stories from the past and we laugh about it and we have a good time talking about it and they just, you know, the stories just kind of get wilder and bigger as we go. You know, that's not an offense where Brother Chris has offended me or I have offended him and we're repeating that. I mean, he's sitting right there and we're laughing our heads off talking about some of these funny things that have happened. And yeah, that, you know, we mysteriously remember a little bit more about it every time we talk about it, you know. That's not repeating a matter where there's been an offense or a sin, you see. That's just having a good time and talking about things that everybody can laugh about. Um, but when you repeat, like if Brother Chris had offended me and hurt me somehow, and he began to repeat that story, not in my presence. You see, that doesn't bring laughter, it doesn't bring... Uh, joy it doesn't make us enjoy one another no it brings a hurt and a pain if i've offended him and he is upset with me about that the repeating of that to other people causes him pain in repeating it you see well brother tim did this to me and he hurt me and the more you repeat that the more it, it does not uh, uh it's not therapy for the person see it's just causing them to relive it you see that that's the difference between covering the transgression with love and reliving the nightmare of an offense again and again and again. Now, ultimately, I want you to look at um, Psalms 32 and 1, because if you don't get this, if we don't get this in our mind, I think it's impossible for us to actually do what the proverb is saying, to, to cover a transgression and seek love, and love covers all sins. Look at something. This is very similar language. Psalms thirty-two, and let's look at verse one. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. See, very similar language. And by the way, if you want to turn on over to the book of Romans, this is repeated in the book of Romans as the apostle Paul uh, is speaking in Romans the fourth chapter, where he says. In verse 6, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without work, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. See, the point he's making there is you have a blessing in knowing that God does not hold your sins against you. That's a great thing to know. And think about how many of God's children are walking around today all pent up and all in despair and thinking, I'm hoping you know, my good works on this day are more than my bad works. And it's not that you're going out seeking to do bad works, but they're, they're pent up and, and they're in a bind over that. But blessed is the man or the woman or the child who understands that their sins are covered, covered in the blood of Christ. Look at 1 Peter 4 and 8. I want you to see how this theme is uh, re repeated throughout the scripture over towards the back of the Bible. First Peter four and eight. I want you to notice what he says. I love this description. 
And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. That's the quote from Proverbs 10 and 12, which we just read, where it says, love covers all sins. And here he says, charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Notice he says, have fervent charity among yourselves. The, the word fervent just means to get all worked up about this. Yeah, you think about how that's the opposite of getting all worked up when somebody hurts your feelings or offends you. You get all worked up and you can't sleep and maybe you start sweating and you, and you just get angry or you get frustrated or you go into depression or despair. Oh, wouldn't it be great if we had a switch that we could flip for fervent charity when that begins to happen, right? I was thinking about this. Believe it or not, you know, back when I was in high school, uh, I might have offended a person or two, you know, just occasionally. I know y'all can't believe it because y'all just think I'm just holy. I'm just joking, of course. But in high school, I can remember this one situation that happened, and I won't be too detailed to let the, uh, the guilty remain anonymous. Uh, but there was a situation where I really offended somebody, and they really offended me. And to this very day, to this day, Y'all don't know this person, so don't try to figure it out. But to this very day, when I see that person, and I think about how that got left hanging, kind of, it never was like a coming together and say, man, I'm sorry. Or he says, man, I'm sorry. You know, when I see that person to this very day, I, I start to get a little sweaty in my palms. You know, I, it's like I'm reliving. You know, I, I, I left that hanging. I wish I hadn't left that hanging. And, and you know what I do? I don't go stick my head in the sand or hide behind a tree. Uh, although part of me is like, you know, I, I really hate to face that person. It's, it's really difficult to face that person because I know I left that hanging. Oh, they left it hanging too, but that's not the point, you know. I know I left that hanging. So you know what I do? I, I just sweat a little bit and just go right on up to them or pass right on by them and speak to them. How you doing? You know, try to make a little conversation with them. And I hope in some way that my normalcy in interacting with them will let them know that I don't hate them. <laughs> and I hope they don't hate me. But if I had the opportunity, did you know I've even, had, I've even had a dream about this? And I don't believe in dreams. But I dreamed one time that I sat down with that person and we looked each other in the face and we both said, I said, I'm sorry. He said, he's sorry. I woke up from that dream so happy. That was such a happy dream. And I thought to myself, I hope that happens someday. Y'all, that happened back in 1988. I'm dating myself, right? That was that long ago. To this very day, I wish that I could sit down with that person and say, I'm sorry. And I pray God would give me an opportunity to do that. You see, offenses are real, are they not? Maybe you're carrying one from 1988. Some of you weren't even alive in 1988. <laughs> But maybe you're carrying one from way back like that. Offenses are real. And they, they still can cause us to work up a sweat. Our palms get sweaty and make you nervous. You see, but even if I never sit down with that person and say, I'm sorry, I never have that opportunity. If that door never opens, I am reconciled to this verse right here. Love covers a multitude of sins. You see. I can walk up to them. I can speak to them. I can shake their hand, say, how are you doing? You know, it, even if it's uncomfortable, after all these years, I can still do that because of that verse right there and because of the meaning of that verse. The meaning behind that verse is ultimately that Christ has done that for us. Are y'all with me? So now listen, I want you to think about this and we're right there close to the book of Hebrews. 
Look in uh, Hebrews, the, uh, I think it's the fourth, oh no, it's the second chapter. And I want you to notice what Jesus says or what is going to be said in verse 13, Hebrews 2 and 13. Now think about this. It says, and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which thou hast given me. Now that right there, I believe with all of my heart, is a picture of what it will look like one day when we walk into heaven. I can just, I've, I've given you this image before, I believe, but I'll give it to you again because I like the image. I can just picture Jesus walking in front of a, of a, of a triangular multitude of people that just kind of filters, or maybe they're side by side, but I picture it as they just kind of filtered in behind him. You'd have to have a, a stage as big as the universe for this to play out. But I can just picture Jesus walking at the head of that vast multitude of people out of every kindred and tribe and tongue and nation and family on the face of the earth since the dawn of time. Jesus is walking in front of them with his hands outspread and his scars and his hands showing. And he's got a smile on his face and he's walking us all into heaven. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And he's saying to the Lord in heaven, to his father, behold, (laughs) I'm going to tell you. Let me just say this aside very, very briefly. You have to believe in sovereign grace to get happy about that picture. You hear me? Because otherwise, if you don't believe in sovereign grace, that every single chosen child is going to be there because they missed it, because they didn't accept, they didn't believe, they didn't get baptized, they didn't pray, they didn't. You're going to have to be, oh man, that's just too bad. There was all those people that could have been there. You know, they didn't choose him, they didn't do it. Let me tell you something. It's going to be all smiles on that day. There's going to be a smile on Jesus' face, I believe. And he's going to say, behold, I and the children which thou hast given me. There's not one missing. That will be glory by and by. Let me tell you. You've got to believe in sovereign grace to, be, to believe that he's going to be happy because he won't, would never be happy if one was missing. And here he comes in there. He's walking into heaven. He's waltzing into heaven. The King of kings and Lord of lords. And all of that host is behind him. And they're happy too. (laughs) And the Father's got the gates open and they're all filtering into heaven. I'm going to tell you what Jesus is not going to say. He's not going to have a frown on his face. Could you picture that? And him saying, Lord, here here they are. That rebellious, stinking, stiff-necked, stubborn, non-forgiving bunch of load of, of, of people that, that I had to take their sins, every little offense that they, they committed, the lies they told, all of the anger they had, all of, of the bad things they did, all this sin and transgression, here they are. Isn't it good to know that he's not going to do that? Why would we do that today with each other, right? If he's not going to do that at the end of time, if anybody ever had a right to complain about what he had to go through to cover the transgressions of the people that he chose. It would be Jesus. But it doesn't say he's going to walk up and say, Behold, Father, behold, I and all these rebellious, stinking, stubborn little children that you gave me, Lord. I finally got them here. It's not going to be like that. And we don't want our lives to be like that, do we? You see, the reason that Jesus can walk into heaven and not say, look at these little stinkers. Look at these rebellious, uh, hard-headed, mean-talking, ugly-acting people. The reason He can do that is because of His blood. 
You see, the sins of those people was buried in the blood of Christ. You want to know what the covering is. You want to know what the the way that somebody can forgive and the way that somebody can go forward and the way they can push through if they start sweating like I do or if they they feel uncomfortable. The way that you can push through is by the blood of Christ, the at-oneness that the blood of Christ brought to the people of God. (laughs) I tell you, that is absolutely essential for individually the life of a child of God and spread out a little bit further to the siblings or the parents or the family or the community or the workplace or the church. I'm telling you, that is essential for the child of God who understands grace to digest that. You can go forward. You can cover the sin. Why? Because my sin is buried in the blood of Jesus. (laughs) Isn't that great? So Jesus can stand before the Father and say, Behold, I am the children that thou hast given me. And not mention one thing about the sin, your sin or my sin, that was put upon him and the wrath of God fell upon him. Isn't that great? So, he says, their sins are buried in my blood. And child of God, it doesn't matter how you've been offended or how you think you've been offended. That's, one of the, that's a subject, I guess, for another day. But a lot of people think they're offended when maybe it was just uh, insensitivity by a person, right? No matter how you've been offended, truly offended, you can leave that in the blood of Christ. That's what it means when he says in the text, He that covereth a transgression... Seeketh love. Well, I can can tell you, you're going to have to cover a lot of transgressions in this life. Think about that when it comes to a family. Oh, my goodness. I've I've told you all this funny before, but when Sister Tracy and I first got married, you know, I thought I was was cool enough to get away with this. She might have halfway thought I was, or she was just so kind not to call my hand on it. But I said, now listen, if I ever say anything to you in our marriage that could be taken... In a positive way or a negative way? Just, just based on who I am and what you know about me, always take it in a positive way. And that was the biggest lie that I could ever tell. Because you know what? I know you can't believe this either, but deep down, sometimes Brother Tim would mean it in a negative way. <laughs> but just take it in a positive way, just because I'm good old me. Sister Tracy's laughing. She knows. She remembers the first time that I said something that way, and I meant it to be negative. See, uh, if I don't mind telling off on me, I'll tell off on you if you want me to. But I don't figure you want me to. But you see, in a marriage, for a marriage to work, for it to to even get on just the ground level, to to have the possibility of being a successful, God honoring marriage, that principle has got to be understood. So young people today, I I speak to you. That's something that you say, well, I can digest that with my brother and my sister. Go ahead and practice it now with brother and sister or with friend if you don't have brother and sister. You know, go ahead and practice it. But I'm telling you, it is essential for for the marriage one day. Because guess what? It's not going to be like even when Brother Tim lied and said, you know, take it the best way that you could, you know, even though I mean it in a horribly negative way. You're going to face that. It's going to be a part of your life. You know why? Because Jesus said offenses will come. It's not because Jesus causes them. It's not because Jesus was prophesying, you're going to do this. No, because Jesus, of all uh, entities, of all individuals, he knows human nature. See? 
He was made flesh himself, yet without sin. Now let me say this too. Somebody says, this is impossible. It just seems impossible. It does seem impossible in your nature. It really does. But this is not about your human nature. This is about a spiritual nature that God has given you. You see? So you say, oh, it's impossible. I can't. It is impossible. I give you that. In your human nature, it is impossible to do this. Because we have things that we hold back and that we hold against each other. We just, that's just our human nature. It's impossible. But we're not calling upon God's children to do this in human nature. We're calling upon God's children to do this in the spiritual nature that God has given them in the new birth. You see? And you can do it. Think about it now. Within you is the Spirit of Christ. Would you agree with me that that Spirit of Christ within you can never sin? You have something inside you that will never sin because it is a part of Christ that He has imposed upon you in the new birth. And that part of you is the key to where you can do this. You're right. If all you ever think about is, you know, what they did, what they said, let's talk about it again. Let's repeat it again. If that's all you ever think about, that's in your human nature. Did you know that's what I think? You know, when I described seeing that person I was just telling you about, you know, and I start sweating, that's my human nature. I'm like, ooh, you know, he got the best of me. I got the best of him. I start sweating. That's my human nature. That's not the spirit of Christ within me. So you know what I do? I push past that because I've got something greater and something stronger that I can't take any credit for that's within me. And it's called the spirit of Christ. So you're right. You can't do it in your human nature. Now you think about what else comes from the human nature. Oh, you want a list of them? Just go look at Colossians. Go look at the book of Ephesians. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemies, evil thoughts. You know, Jesus even gave us a laundry list of those things that come out of the heart over in the Gospels. He says all lies, adulteries, murders, thefts, covetousness, all these different things. Now, evil thoughts, evil speaking. Those are all products of the human nature. You say, oh, I just can't help myself. Well, I get it from one standpoint that you can't get rid of your human nature, but from a spiritual standpoint, God says you can help yourself. <laughs> Through His Spirit, you can do it. <laughs> I told y'all this before. I'm telling off on myself tonight. I thought there was no possible way when I started preaching that I would ever quit using foul language. You know, believe it or not, I grew up, I was a manager on the football team. I might have heard a little ugly word here or there and maybe incorporated it into my, uh, my vocabulary. <laughs> and one thing, I, I, after I met Sister Tracy, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit using that foul language, any foul language around her, for sure. She's, she, that's a good little sign right there, sisters. If that knucklehead won't quit using foul language around you, you better kick him to the curb. <laughs> Dads, where are you? I thought they was going to shout and amen, jump. And, anyway, uh, maybe y'all get that next time when you're awake. But, but anyway, I thought, how in the world? I've, I've used these words for years, for years. And my first thought was when the Lord recalled me to preach, I was like, oh my goodness, you know, what if I say a foul, ugly word in the pulpit? That'd be horrible. I did think that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And so, you know what I did? First of all, I prayed. I said, God, forgive me for using language that dishonors the Son of God who paid for my sins, and He also paid for me using that foul language. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for doing that, and forgive me for it. And then I said, Lord, help me. Help me. 
And I concentrated, I concentrated. I identified the areas and the times when I would be prone to use a word I shouldn't use. And I'd go into those moments and I'd say, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. And I kid you not, over the course of about 10 years, from, say, I'd say probably 1998, 1999, over the course of about 10 years, I could count on one hand the number of times that I used an ugly word. See, I'm telling off of myself. And I will tell you this. When I had made that promise to God, I said, Lord, I'm not going to do it anymore. There's a better way to talk, and it honors you. And it doesn't involve any of those old ugly words. And I could count on, on one hand the number of times that I used a foul word during those years. And I'm not saying after those 10 years I went back to using them. I don't mean that. But I'm just using that 10 years as a scale. I could count on one hand and I, and I could identify the circumstances that I was in. It was pressure circumstances. It was a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of physical labor and things going on like that. A lot of farm work was going on. And I'm going to tell you, the first time that I stepped over that boundary, I got down on my knees and I cried like a baby. When that word came out of my mouth, I hit the knees and I said, God, forgive me. I'm still a sinner. Sometimes it just comes out without even me realizing to catch. I need to catch it before it's gone. So I tell you that example, not just to tell off of myself, but to help you understand. You can do it by the Spirit of Christ. You can do it. It doesn't mean you're never going to have a bad thought again or never think an ugly thing again or never struggle with forgiveness again. You're going to struggle with forgiveness until you leave this world. But there's a way to deal with it, and it's through the Spirit that's within you. It's through the new man that God has put in you. That's where the forgiveness comes from. The old man just spouts out that stuff that's damaging and hurtful and painful. But the Spirit of Christ, which is in you, will never harm another child of God. Isn't that great? I love what one preacher said. The Spirit of Christ within me will never harm or not get along with the Spirit of Christ in you. Don't you wish we could just just force that Spirit right outside of us and that's all we'd be interacting with? Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) If only it were that easy. Okay. As we close... Let's just say, for example, there's somebody like me who at times can't cover the transgression. Well, first of all, you know what not to do, right? Don't repeat it. Do not repeat it to other people because that separates friends. Okay, so what do you do? Just get over it? That doesn't really work, does it? Because it keeps coming back. It keeps coming back. I, I say first you try to get under it. That's what I say. Don't try to get over it. Try to get under it. <laughs> get out on your knees and get under it and get in the blood of Christ and, and con- consistently focus on that blood of Christ and what He's done for you. Try to get under it. But if you can't, even if you get under it and it's still there and it's hurting, God's, God's got a provision for what you need to do. And it doesn't involve coming down the aisles of the church and telling everybody what happened. <laughs> no, It's found in Matthew 18. God tells you what to do if you just can't keep it in the blood. Christ said, go to that person. That's the last thing you want to do, isn't it? Go to that person. Now you say, well, how do I know if I am in need of that? Here, I'm going to give you some ways you can know this. And I think this is probably a sermon that ought to be preached probably at least once or twice a year. 
just because we're so prone to fall back into these categories. Okay, when it comes to the person, are you irritable? That's an indication that you need to go to that person that you haven't forgiven them, you haven't left it in the blood. Are you irritable? Are you distant with that person? Are you cold? Give them the cold shoulder or just the cold look, you know, just sort of the acknowledgement there. Do you try to avoid that person? See? Are you quick-tempered with that person? Somebody comes up to you and says, well, good morning. How are you? And, you know, you say, yeah, I'm great. And then that person comes up to me and says, well, good morning. What's good about it? You know, you're irritable, quick-tempered with that person. And, and very sadly, punishing towards that person. That you, you're, you're, you feel the need to punish them. They hadn't paid enough. They've hurt you and you, they just hadn't paid enough. You hadn't seen, and you want the Lord to take it out on them. But since the Lord doesn't seem to be taking it out on them, you'll just take it out on them. And maybe think, well, I'm, this, the Lord is calling me to do that. Boy, that's tough right there. That's tough. The Lord's not calling you to, 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 to rain down judgment on someone. And as a matter of fact, if you know anything about the blood of Christ, judgment may come in a way that you don't even comprehend because the Spirit of Christ may speak to the heart of that person and say, hey, there was an offense and break the heart of that person. See? (laughs) But we want the person to get the Zeus bolt, you know, whack, you know, kill them, destroy them. You know, that's what we want in our nature. If you feel punishing towards that person, and let me just say this, if that, if that doesn't get your attention in terms of, of examining yourself related to these types of things, what is your first thought when you look at that person? What is your first thought? You see that person somewhere, is it run? Is it hide? Is it... <laughs> What's your first thought when you see that person? I tell you what now, this is life-changing. This is life-changing. When you digest this, it's marriage changing, it's family changing, and praise be to God, it's church changing. See, there's no issue that can't be dealt with. There's no situation that can't be dealt with through the blood of Christ. Now, I get it. We've talked about Judas before. You can have a Judas and you got to stay away from Judas. But let me tell you something, that doesn't exist within the church of Christ. You don't have, you know, Judas will manifest himself if he's among us. (laughs) You know, eventually he'll go hang himself, metaphorically speaking, (laughs) But you understand, leave that to the Lord. In the meantime, we're not dealing with Judas. We're, te- we're dealing with other little hard-headed sheep. <laughs> you see yourself as a hard-headed little sheep? <laughs> That's the way we all are. And here's the reality. Here's the reality. When that person has offended you and you're irritable, distant, cold, avoiding, quick-tempered, punishing, you look at that person and you think, hmm that's an indication that you need to be around that person. That's the opposite of what your little spirit is telling you to do. (laughs) That's an indication. You say, well, I can't be around them, Brother Tim. I'm too irritable, blah, 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 all that type of stuff. Well, it's time to go to them. It's time to go to them in Matthew 18. And it says, go to that person and tell it between thee and thee alone. Thee and him alone. And there's no repeating of the matter to the friends. There's no separating of friends. You see that? God's got a perfect plan. And let me say this as we close. In all my years in the ministry, when somebody has gone, now listen to me, in the true nature of Matthew 18, they're not going to point the finger. They're not going to punish. They're not going to kick around. They're not going to uh, exercise their rights. But when they have gone in the true nature of Matthew 18, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, 
it means you're not ready to go. <laughs> See? You don't know what I'm talking about when I speak of the true nature of Matthew 18. Then you need to talk to somebody about what that means. I'll be happy to talk with you about it. But I am telling you, I have never seen it fail. Ever. In all my years in the ministry, when somebody's gone in the true nature of Matthew 18, and you know what happens? Friends come back together. Marriages are healed. Brothers and sisters actually get along. That's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Wounds are healed. See? And it all comes back down to do not repeat a transgression. But love, one who is seeking love, covers the transgression. And there is at oneness again, atonement. That's the type of covering. They leave it in the blood of Christ.